Can I plug my uh, Venmo name? Whatever you need, yeah. Okay. Joey Dash Medici uh, 8. <laughs> I literally have no idea what the hell is going on. I lost my way. Chelsea comes to me. She's like, I think we need to have some younger folks on the pod. I'm like, all right, that sounds like a great idea. The next thing I know, we're like having cash payments being <laughs> sent across the web. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I am so excited today to have two of our very own first-timers. Are we, are we excited about this? I've got Donna Day Banning, who is the Associate Director of Insights, and I have Joey Medici, Associate Director of Strategy here at Kara. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays. <laughs> I, I'd have to call out, too, that this is actually my second time Oh, hearing. that's right. I forgot. Um, on with the Reddit guys earlier in the That's year. That's right. You did, uh, what was that one called? Superb Owl. Superb Owl. That's yes. right. Yes, That's yes, right. Yes. I wasn't on that one. So oh, there you go. Oh, right. Yeah, you yeah. weren't. Okay. Well, welcome back. You First time any, together. First you, time together. Yeah, okay. You don't get anything special <laughs> for coming back. <laughs> Donna, you're going to have to put up with this the whole time. Are you ready? I know. I know. It's a tragedy. It's unfortunate. So let's do just a little background on what we want to talk about. We're going to get into creator culture, which I'm mm -hmm. fascinated to sort of get into some of the work you've been doing as part of the media trends work. Sarah and I covered that uh, a couple of weeks ago in a pod. So this is a great sort of adjunct volume. Let's start with this. For those in our audience who really don't have any baseline, when we say creator culture, what do we mean? What's the definition of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and I, I don't think there is one kind of specific answer for it. The, the way that we've kind of positioned it and the work that we're putting together is kind of this cultural response that we've seen through technological advancements that have been made, right? So the opportunity for people to actually create something themselves, there's such a low barrier for that to happen mm -hmm. now. And what that's done is spawn this culture of creation where people feel empowered to put things together themselves and share them with the world, which is why we see this absolutely massive, never-ending flow of content being put out on every platform that we work in and yeah. use daily. And this idea that anybody could be a creator, it doesn't have to be a major celebrity, for right. example. So it's the democratization of the creation of content and the following through on these ideas. Mm -hmm. That's been a part of the internet for a long time, right? I mean, even in the earliest days, whether it was blogs or, or what have you, there's always been this sort of loosening of the chains on individual creative minds to, to make stuff that they want. Yep. But now we exist in an ecosystem that is unbelievable in terms of the power of not just the technology itself, but the platforms in which you share this stuff. And that's pretty interesting. What is our sort of organizing point of view of what are the implications of this culture and how it's changing? So uh, there are a few. One of the ones that I, I guess I'll, I'll call out first is from a media perspective, it means that brands need to rethink the amount of control they want and expect to have from the media that they're putting into the world. So brand safety is kind of this thing that has a level of safety that we can get to. Don't be on this website. Don't use this person in your media. But as the world of UGC grows and people can interact with your message, your platform, whenever they want to, there's this level of interpretation that needs to be accepted and brands need to be willing to put themselves out there and, and understand that their message will be interpreted separately from different groups of people. And the positioning and messaging kind of needs to allow for that at this day and age. 
So we did some work around how do we define influencers versus creators? What's the difference? And I think with creators, it should be more of a partnership. Like Joey said, allowing these people to kind of take the reins a little bit on your brand and hopefully brands don't need to kind of handhold. They know what their audience will respond to. So allowing them to kind of take that as far as they want to within reason, but allowing them that creative control. Mm. So I'm going to use a terrible analogy and then you guys can make fun of me. Does that sound like a fun thing to do? All right, good. Could we say that creators are more like directors and influencers are more like producers? Does that make sense? In the traditional film definition. You can throw up all over that, by the way. It definitely makes sense. I think that that's something that we constantly kind of fight with is the distinction between an influencer and a creator. Mm. So creator could be anything. You could be creating, you know, that blog, like you mentioned earlier, that got started two decades ago. It Mm. could be creating an ASMR channel on YouTube where you're eating lobster tails in front of a mic. Um, It it has so many different (laughs) levels for what what creating actually is. (laughs) (laughs) Creators are going to have influence over somebody. It could be their friend group that they're making a really specific piece of content for whatever they may be creating. Influencers are, are then taking that a step, another step further and trying to monetize whatever they're creating. Yeah. And an influencer creating something, again, it, it could be them going on vacation and showing a picture of them sitting on the beach. It's still, they're creating something, but the main purpose of that is to drive some type of revenue stream. Yep. Whereas a creator really is kind of focused on a craft and art they're putting together that's may later on end up becoming an influencer themselves based off of their creation. All right. Based on that definition, if that holds, Donna, mm-hmm. do you agree? What, do I you, do agree. You yeah. agree? All right. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the judge on this and say that my analogy kind of works. <laughs> if, if producers yeah. are aimed at sort of the commercialization of film, mm. directors have sort of been more of the artistic integrity of how yeah. you put together the storytelling. How has the role of the creator changed even over the past two or three years, right? Because there's so many different platforms than existed before, right? TikTok is a relatively new thing, even though you could argue that Vine, you know, existed some time ago. But how has the role of of the creator changed? Donna, I want to start with you. Well, the internet has changed so much where I think in the past it's been messaging from one to one or one to many. But when we think about the tools that we have now that allow creators to just be in their bedroom or be like myself, be at a restaurant table and create content because Mm. you have to get that perfect shot of your food before you start eating. So are you a food (laughs) photo person? I am. Absolutely. We'll get into that in a second. (laughs) There's so much content that can be created that there's oversaturation a little bit, but I think the role of the creator is to know their audience, know what works for them, and kind of go from there. What I guess I'm interested in, Joey, is how do creators attempt to stay up with these platforms and how are they making platform decisions mm-hmm. about where they're going to invest their time, right? So, because yeah. you can't do everything, right? It's impossible. And you shouldn't. Uh, and you shouldn't, right? That's a great point. You shouldn't. So, how do you see them making those decisions like, all right, YouTube was right for me and I'm going to dip my toe in TikTok or, you know, Medium was right for me. I started with the written word. How do those kind of puts and takes get made? Yeah, so a bunch of different decisions and reasons why people are working on different platforms. Some of it may be where you've started to get your your larger audience. If it's on one platform, you might feel some type of kind of 
reason to stay on there. A lot of people on YouTube have branched out to TikToks and doing the shorter form content. But the way that these companies that are hosting these influencers are treating them is a big reason why they're kind of moving around. So YouTube has been under pressure for a multitude of different reasons. And they're constantly making changes to what they're going to allow, what they're not going to allow. They're starting to demonetize things that may not have had the proper checks and balances Mm -hmm. that needed to be made in order to decide whether or not that was fair. So you're seeing a couple of years ago now, Facebook made a huge push where they were offering to actually subsidize some of the creative studio work Mm -hmm. and trying to take off some of that burden to get people to move off of off of YouTube towards Facebook and say, hey, we're going to treat you better. You know, we're going to yep. count a view as X, Y, and Z and, and try and put their kind of stake in the ground and say, we are here to treat you guys right. Yep. I mean, that's one reason why you're seeing influencers decide to use one program or over another, but then it's also with the trends, right? Like you said, TikTok, this is kind of just an evolution of understanding that people want to engage with content. And that's why TikTok is really unique in the sense that it isn't just like a comment or a like that you're giving, but people are doing what's called duos on it. So you're actually able to participate with a piece of content Mm. by, you know, doing like a dance side by side with somebody that you really follow. Yep. So it's an interesting kind of evolution. Yeah. It's fascinating to me on on a number of different levels. I guess one of the biggest things is there seems to be such an inherent acumen in a lot of the successful creators around how they're making their choices. There's a there's a real savviness to to kind of how they're deciding to do their storytelling and how do they adapt that and where they make their um, personal investment in terms of time and energy when something new comes along. And I think that's that's really interesting, you know, interesting to watch. I think it also has massive implications for our business as an agency business yeah. as as so many of these folks are so sort of naturally versed uh, in the language of how the platforms work mm-hmm. and also kind of almost viscerally the strategy by which they approach it. And I think that's really interesting. There's not a lot of marketing training in any of these folks, but yet they seem to have a really good sort of innate sense of some of these things. So what are the implications for brands? I mean, what are the sort of things that they should be looking out for either in partnering with or identifying or participating in the media around the creator culture? What what are the things they should have top of mind? I think one thing is obviously selecting a creator or an influencer that aligns with your brand. So if you feel like this person actually wouldn't use your product in real life, just because they have a massive reach doesn't mean that you should kind of partner with them. Also, from an audience insights perspective, kind of evaluating who their target audience is. So is their current fan base matching up with who you want now? Or maybe it's matching up with who you might want in the future if it's like a a Gen Z audience that Mm. you think five years down the line could be valuable to you. Maybe it makes sense to kind of match up with them right now. The audience bit there, I think, is a really interesting question for marketers and how they're trying to trade off short-term impact and long-term value, to mm-hmm. your point. And I think that's a, a really interesting question. Joey, from your perspective, any things that brands should be considering, you know, what, what the implications of this are? There aren't levels of authenticity. You're either authentic or There's you're no not. Maslow's hierarchy of authenticity. <laughs> so 
when you hear people say, you know, we want to work with influencers because we want to be authentic, yeah. uh, then maybe that level of authenticity is, well, we're a sports brand and this person played baseball. And that's where they say, you know, that, that's authentic. We're in. There really needs to be that deeper look into the values of what that person believes, what they're talking about on a daily basis. Because it, it's gotten to the point where we first had, when influencers and creators came up, if they got sponsored by a brand, it was almost for the followers, a, a little bit cool. Like this person that I really like yep. is getting sponsored by a big time brand. And slowly this relationship that you had with this creator, influencer, imagine like sitting at a movie watching it together with your favorite Instagram creator or a stories creator. Then this brand kind of starts to nuzzle themselves in between you and like put their arms over both of you as you're watching. And then it got to this space where these brands were cool and fun to the point where you're just a burden. You're in the way of what I'm trying to get out of this influencer. It isn't that like connection that you have anymore. So I think that's what we're really fighting with. That, that might have been like an absolutely terrible analogy. <laughs> I'm going to ask but, for a clarification here for a second. Yeah, yeah. The you in this is the audience. So what you're basically saying is I as an audience participant have a relationship with, with the influencer because yeah. I think what they're doing is cool and interesting. Right. And then the next thing you know, the brand shows up in the equation and now it's like three people in a, uh, in a relationship. Exactly. It's okay. almost like what they've done is at first add value to the sense that the person I'm watching is almost like validated. A brand recognizes them for yep. how good they're doing and I'm happy for them that they're being sponsored. And now it's just become to the point where everybody has some type of sponsorship on them. And <laughs> there's four different mid-roll ads within the content that I'm watching. Yeah. And it's removing you from that close connection that you have with this content creator yeah. at this point. Extremely difficult to be authentic in that environment. Exactly. It is really, really difficult. And it's something that the content creators themselves struggle with because yeah. they understand that they themselves are a brand. Mm -hmm. So short term, it makes a lot of sense for them to kind of onboard as many different sponsorships as they can, but it degrades the quality of what they're putting out there to the world. So they need to be just as strict as the brands are in choosing influencers themselves. Yeah. So Donna, we throw this authenticity word around all the time with clients and they parrot it back to us, right? And how do you help sort of counsel them on what they should have in mind when they say it? Um, that's an interesting question because um, I work on sub, I don't know if we can talk about clients. No, here, say it, we'll figure it out. I work on Subway <laughs> and we're going through a brand repositioning currently. So that question makes me think about when you think about authenticity, a brand should be thinking about their own kind of internal values, what their morals are, what they believe in. And to Joey's point, creators are brands themselves. So those things should align. Sure. Um, and I think if you're able to match those things up, hopefully it'll be when you're creating content, it'll be kind of like simpatico. We believe in, I don't know, being green. I mean, it goes deeper than that. You could believe in being green too. It doesn't mean that the content is going to be great, but that's where having a collaborative approach to creative comes to play. The brand shouldn't have 80% control over what they're creating, but the creator also shouldn't have 80% control. It should be a true partnership and it should be rooted in what both of them, you know, kind of believe internally. What are clients struggling with the most here? They're scared. Yeah, okay. So why? <laughs> 
it's a crazy world out there. Um, <laughs> and we keep saying you should kind of let go a little bit and have a partnership here. And for brands that are especially bigger brands who feel like they're investing a lot of dollars, they want to see the return in their investment. It's kind of difficult to say, okay, I'm going to let go and let this creator do their thing. And I can understand that. Personally, on, on my accounts, we've been recommending is to just test it out. For Subway in particular, we recently partnered with Twitch. Gaming has been something that Subway has been interested in for a while, and the audience data shows they're kind of interested in that as well. It's a strong passion point and just ran our first campaign with Twitch, and it was very, very successful, mm. included creator, Dr. Lupo. They're kind of seeing that, okay, we can do this. It, it kind of has quelled their concerns over giving over some of their creative control over the content, and they're seeing the residuals. They're seeing that people are saying that this was, like, why hadn't this been done before? Mm. Twitch's September and Subway, it just made sense. So when they start to see that, they're like, okay, we can kind of try this again and see maybe we can do it bigger next time. Yeah. See, yeah. Joe, you have any good examples? So there was actually one that I saw the other day, and I've, I found myself on some YouTuber's channel who was talking about a topic in the news that had just popped up. And at the end of it, he started getting into a story. And this is a guy who constantly has like millions of views on his content and from what I can tell, the completion rate is like very successful as well. Mm -hmm. He's always got ads at the end of it. The company he was working with let him almost make a complete mockery of the ad itself. Like they let him just run off and do his like, he was like, you know what I'm going to tell my kids when I grow up? And he goes into this like long story. You don't know where it's going. And he kind of ends it with like, I'm going to tell them that they need to subscribe to, like, this new food service because it's so good. And it came across so, like, it's so funny and it, it was almost like the best way it could actually fit into the content. It didn't feel out of place. It worked in and it, it, I'm going to remember that for a while. And I think that yeah. that's kind of how brands need to start approaching this space and really giving the creative control to the people that are, are making that area worthwhile and, and the reason brands want to step in in the first place. So let's talk about generational differences. You know, obviously Gen Z has its own sort of set of interests and quote unquote rules. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about what those are. What do we know about Gen Z and their participation, not just in being creators themselves, but the consumption of creator content? I would say that I think that they go for less of the polished look when it comes, and not to overuse the word authentic, but... Um, yes, I've been told by my daughter that if this pictures look too good, she's out. Exactly. Oh, yep. Exactly. That's a it's great It's not insight. real, Dad. I'm, and I'm like, Char, you're talking about people posting pictures in this digital environment that show, you know, one one billionth of their day. It's already not real. <laughs> right. That's true. So, yeah, I, I think they go for more of the raw kind of IRL content not overly produced. And I think that that's also the sort of content that they like to create. Yep. Um, it comes across as more natural, if you will, quote unquote, natural. Yep. And I think that they find it more relatable when they see those sorts of things floating around the interwebs. Is that a real strength of TikTok in particular? Absolutely. Is how very unvarnished, almost 
It's this weird combination of rehearsed but unrehearsed at the same time, right? Like, yeah, like they clearly that. spent time learning these dumb dances, but then it's it just feels kind of like they're in the basement of the gym, you know, sort of like, hey, it's, you know, cheer practice. Let's do whatever. It, it, it has this sort of, yeah, you spent time on it, but it's not overly done. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think at this point, a lot of us probably take it for granted how great it is that they're matching up like beats with an action that's happening Mm. on film within six seconds. And it really immerses you into this like very, very short clip just because the production of it, which I think you're expecting to kind of be a little shaky is so much better than what you thought. It's pretty interesting in that regard. We're millennials on this continuum. Great producers of creator content. Yes, this is the creator generation, the first one. Is that a fair description? Yeah. I Don't think. get too excited. <laughs> now, is this because we're talking about you guys and I suddenly was, you're I all like, oh, no, 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 like, no, 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 no. Let's well make done. fun of somebody else. <laughs> Hold on. I think something that we've talked about when we've been creating this media landscape work was how just the economy has changed and more and more millennials feeling like they need to be entrepreneurial, the gig economy, kind of creating their own way. Joey always brings up this example of Back in the day, like babysitting (laughs) as a job. And then, you know, you have a templatized kind of way that you're going to go through your life. You're going to high school, college, corporate job, two and a half kids, dog, white picket fence. And that has kind of been broken up and shifted with the millennial generation. So literally, you get to two and a half kids, a white picket fence, and a corporate job from a babysitting job? Is that, is that, <laughs> so that's where it starts? There's more so, to that. So the, what we had done was basically try and compare the difference of like how people are using the social platforms and the way that they're using like the tech that they have from the time they start using it. So if you look at the millennials, when we were in middle school, high school, it was basically you're in school, you may have a camp, but the first job you get is one that is temporary. It's got a short half-life of a babysitter job. You might work at a pizzeria. From there, you kind of move on to college. Then you get your real job. And that entire time, like those jobs you made or you were doing when you were younger, they don't really offer too much in the future. They're not growing anywhere. You're starting that growth once you've gotten out of college and you're building that business acumen or whatever you may be into. As someone in the Gen Z generation, The hobbies that you have as a kid, you can make a portfolio of them from the second you can start using your phone. So whereas me as a millennial might have been like, I really liked making trick shot videos, going out and doing trick shots at the basketball court. That was just a thing that me and my friends liked to do. And maybe one of us had like a big VHS camera and we'd save it and play it, you know, a year later. But for kids that are doing that now, that's just another piece of their portfolio that Mm. they can actually continue to grow through college, past college. So they've got this extremely large just piece of work that they can continue to play off of, get better at, and actually turn into a career very early on. And that's actually where we see with Gen Z, because of this creator culture, there's a lot of stress on them. Mm. They see their friends becoming Instagram famous, getting some sponsorships and making money off of that, all while they're sitting there thinking like, all right, well, I need to graduate college, but my friends are making money doing these side gigs right now. How do I make myself different? It's the idea too that millennials, we had this split between the digital and in real life. 
where Gen Z really sees those one in the same. Yeah. You're not just putting something different online. You're not doing like your fake Instagram account. Who I am digitally is who I am in real life. My nephew, who's 10, lives such a stressful life, Jimmy, <laughs> Gen Zer. But it's it's been so interesting to watch him. First, he's really into gaming and will, well, first started out just like watching other people play video games on YouTube and then figured out a way to record himself and create his own YouTube channel mm -hmm. at eight or nine years old to have people watch him play video games. And the latest thing is just where I would maybe go on SoundCloud and listen to like, what's the new, you know, the newest music and whatnot. He's creating his own beats with whatever platforms he uses on his phone. And every time I see him, he's like, you want to listen to what I just made? And has a few hundred followers on YouTube, just like, okay. it's insane to watch. And like you said earlier, it's like, I don't even know where he found the time to learn how to use these platforms, but it just comes, it's like intrinsic to him. It's mm. like nothing. This is a really fascinating conversation to me. I obviously occupy, as our audience is uh, loathe to hear one more time, <laughs> I occupy a different sort of generational vector. And so there's a fair amount of mysticism, I would say, to some of what I see both my kids and their friends doing. I still tend to come at it from a, oh, you know, when they get to college, they'll, you know, go find a job and they'll be an accountant or a doctor or whatever. Sort of an old world perspective. Mm -hmm. And so to hear you guys talk about it, you know, they, to some extent, have the same perspective about it that some of them have about being an athlete. Yeah. Which is, I'm going to go be an athlete. And even though, you know, it's 0.1% of the entire world population, I'm going to be the one or whatever. They have that same view about, I guess, some of this work. Yeah. And that's interesting, right? It is truly a an aspiration. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing. There's actually a, a uh, report that I just saw that showed that for teens, the number one profession above sports athlete or anything was influencer, specifically YouTube. Yeah. Internet famous. I'm not sure what this leaves us with culturally, but I think that's a different podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm not like I the the long term societal and cultural implications of entire generations of people aspiring to a level of fame. I think there's the ramifications to that. For sure. Uh, it seems to me. Said the old man in the room. All right, old man's <laughs> going to move on to a different set of questions. That makes sense. Here's the next thing I want to get to. When you sit down with clients and you have a conversation, how are you guiding them into being more comfortable with this discussion? Like what are the things that you're either saying to them or showing them or how, how do you sort of frame that discussion? I think a lot of it comes with taking your best-in-class examples of when brands have really pulled off great work that actually led to, to seeing some positive results. And then other kind of cultural trends that have caught on with brands being a part of it. And one recently that I'd like to bring up is actually uh, we've spoken um, a lot about sonic branding and mm, how that's sure. worked for brands and whatnot. But also taking this through the lens of like the UGC that's being produced in content creation, Home Depot. So they have that tune that we all know kind of in the background. It's like... Uh, guitar solo 
I can't, <laughs> Can I can't sing it? it right now because I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. And that makes me disappointed because I would love your voice <laughs> no. rendition of this guitar yeah, solo. No, it wouldn't have worked. But anyway. <laughs> Donna, anyway. are you able to do the guitar <laughs> solo? Ding, 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 ding. No. No. That was pretty close. We got a ding, 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 ding. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about or else I'd give it a swing. So at the end of every Home Depot commercial, you'll hear the same song. Ah, got it. And... Recently, there was a huge trend going around TikTok specifically where all of these teens were using that to like party and have fun. <laughs> so it'd be rooms full of people jamming out to the Home Depot song or like by the pool, people just hanging out, listen to the Home Depot song. Um, and something that you would never, ever expect, wow. but it's a piece of like that interpretation again. Sure. Like, how is this going to live through UGC? I and mean, coming back to your question... It's showing stuff like that to brands and saying, listen, we're just a part. Like once we put our media out there, it's a part of a larger group that's going sure. to take it and do with it what they will. And we have to be open for that. And it's actually a good thing if we approach it the right way sure. and don't try and make sure something like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Or try to make sure that it does. Yes. Try and make sure that it does would be the approach there. Right. Because that, it seems to me we've been doing this around digital for a long time is that, and look, I say this, I was a client for a long time, so I, I say this of myself. Clients see things, they see things take off, and they're like, oh, I have to have something that becomes a viral moment or I have to come, you know, yeah. do something that, that becomes shareable in the extreme. And my observation over, you know, 10 years of this is that it's extremely hard to plan to get that outcome. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I mean, like the Home Depot jingle people didn't wake up one morning and go, we are going to slay it on, you know, TikTok because people are going to be jamming out with a white claw rolling to our song. For sure. I mean, the people that created that tune probably created it three decades ago. Exactly. So it wouldn't have been possible, but it's exactly right. You can't sit down and say, we we need a yeah. plan that makes us go viral. It's yes. not going to work. Where's the magic button? <laughs> yeah. You can't predict virality. And we used to talk about this all the time when I worked at 360i, our Dan family. From a content marketing perspective, sometimes things just hit and you don't know why. Yeah. And when it does, it isn't necessarily easy to replicate that either sure. because there's no formula. So at the time that I was working there, I don't know if you all remember, like the Oreo dunk in the sure. dark mm -hmm. tweet happened. And yes, they the we had set up a war room. single most famous tweet of all time. <laughs> I think possibly. it's in a Guinness Book of World yeah, Records. Possibly. Yeah, Just a, a great example of not being able to predict that that exact moment sure. would happen during the Super Bowl. But having a plan in place just in case something sure. happens and then having the right people in the room that can execute on that quickly works. Yeah, and I, I think that's right, right? So what we have learned is that getting yourself prepared to take advantage of something is critical. Exactly. And then having methodologies and approaches that allow you to be agile and flexible mm. to be creative in a moment and take advantage of something, those are things that you can do in advance and those are things that you should do in advance. Yeah. But the magic of the moment is still is still the magic of the moment. I want to ask you a quick question before we get into the lightning round. Last week to me was one of the more infamous weeks that I've ever seen in over 25 years in marketing. And what I mean by that is I've never quite seen a week where we had the Peloton explosion around the ad. And then we had the aviator gin response leveraging of that actress in their spot or video uh, online video. What are the implications of all that for marketers? 
Like if you're a marketer, what in the world are you supposed to do? You're supposed to not do the first thing, but then you're supposed to figure out a, do, a, a way to do the second thing. Is that basically what the new, the new marketing playbook is? I think Peloton is a really funny example, right? Because they already were getting heat for their original commercials. Because the commercials depicted some guy Three and with a, half a million dollar house <laughs> in his, look, overlooking the city right in the middle of his living room. So everybody's like, okay, this doesn't make much sense. Yeah. So Peloton went back and it's almost like they just said, okay, we just, we need to get the house right yeah. and check that off. And what they did is fail to kind of look at the bigger yeah, picture. Yeah, it was like, okay, we're going to solve for regular people. Re- right. And regular people act this way. Like, oh, right. honey. <laughs> we're going to take that same family and just put them in a smaller house and things work. It is sort of, it's a great observation. It is sort of like they said, okay, we're going to change the scenario, make it a more attainable environment for whatever that means. Right. And then we're going to, you know, basically Ward and June Cleaver, yeah. you know, some kind of strange 1950s version yes. of how this works. Yes. And shockingly, that didn't work. I imagine that, what's a gin company? Uh, Aviator. Aviator. Or, Aviator, aviation. Aviation gin. Aviation gin. Yeah. They probably saw that and the first time anybody in the company saw that commercial was like, okay, this is going to work for us. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such an easy response, but it's also something that needs to move really, really quickly. And what that means from the client side is like, you have to push through these creative demands and, and kind of processes way quicker to make it mean anything. Uh, let's be clear. A, a celebrity run liquor brand is one of the few brands that could execute. That's true. Because they don't have, you know, 17 layers of approval in this, that, like, right? I mean, very fair point. I would pick a large company, but I don't want to alienate anyone. I'll just use IBM because I used to work there and Mm. I I love the IBM company, but it's just not something that's physically possible within the IBM company. Right. Right. Nor would they ever do something like that. So it's interesting to me to, to sort of watch it all unfold. It does make me wonder about where we're going and the roles of brands and agencies in in how we tell these stories and and how we have reactive, you know, war rooms or SWAT teams that kind of piggyback on either competitors yeah. or different categories to, to leverage. It sort of opens up a little bit of Pandora's box a little bit. Is there any of the future in this, I guess, is what, would, what it made me think of. All right. So are we ready to jump into the lightning round? You ready? Yeah. All right. So... We've been talking about creator culture and creators. You guys are millennials, avid digesters of creator stuff. Who's your favorite creator? Mine would be, at the moment, Patricia Bright. And every time I say her name, I have to say it with a British accent, formerly known as Brit Pop Princess. I've been following her for maybe nine years. She oh, does. wow. This is like a real yeah. relationship. I watch YouTube more than I watch real TV. Um, you are not she, alone. <laughs> she started out when she was in uni, and uh, she was doing beauty, fashion yep. videos since then, has expanded into makeup, lifestyle, finance. She talks about real-world stuff, has a bunch of partnerships with lots of brands, shows she's pregnant. We're just following her life online, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for for almost 10 years, you really are following her. So she's pregnant now. She's pregnant with her second child. We oh, don't wow. know if it's a boy or a girl yet. We. Who's we the don't we? Know. <laughs> I don't know yet. She hasn't told me. Um. <laughs> just like, well, when you say we, it's you and the audience. Is that what you mean? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Do you feel an association with the audience? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have friends that also are fans of, of hers? 
Shout out to Alex Brezzi, <laughs> Associate Director of Strategy at Kara. And do you talk about <laughs> when you when you head to somewhere, you know, for a movie or a cocktail or whatever, do you talk about <laughs> Brit Pop Princess? What's going on with Patricia these days? Yeah, we were both talking about how she had a gender reveal and we're like, she's like, I think it's going to be a boy because her first child's a girl. <laughs> so we were just... This is the most millennial thing ever. <laughs> or it's the most millennial thing I've ever led on this podcast. How about that? I love it. Yeah. Donna, thank you for that. That's amazing. No problem. Favorite creator? I honestly don't know if I have a favorite creator. I love watching tons and tons of different stuff on YouTube. I'm a big snowboarder. Okay. Um, so any content. There must be like hundreds of dudes jumping off of like roofs or something. There's one that I'm paying attention to now. It's actually a skier who's doing this thing called the 50. And it's basically the 50 hardest hikeable peaks in the U.S. that you could actually hike to and ski down. Okay. And they're typically 15, 20 minutes long, but he does a really, really great job of editing it and makes you feel like you're kind of along like really gets gets the uh, like angles right so you have kind of like the scare of him falling off the side. Oh, wow. I had to like shove this in somewhere. The thing that has kind of blown me away the most and my most like invested experience with creators has been searching for a new mattress or when I was looking for a new mattress. Okay. So living in Brooklyn, I wasn't going to go to mattress firm and like get some big mattress up the stairs in my place, which can, right. I can't even put my arms wide enough or right. I can touch the wall. You need like the arms. Casper tied up in a knot thing. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, all right, I need to go buy a mattress, but there isn't anywhere to actually touch or feel these mattresses right. or get an understanding of how they're going to work for you. And this is really interesting of how creators have done such a good job of kind of providing that brick and mortar, like touch and feel tangibility to, need, to sure. a product. Because if you go on YouTube and look up the best mattresses, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of videos of them comparing every single mattress from every type of sleeper, weight, family size. And these guys have made an entire living. I'd imagine they made a pretty good living off of basically playing the system. All of these mattresses have like a year-long guarantee for money back if you don't uh, like it. So they'll just use it for three months with their family or whoever it is, make this huge in-depth review, trade it in for a next one. <laughs> and they'll just keep running through these as long as they keep making these mattresses. These guys are going to keep going. And it was so helpful, but also left me in this just absolute like abyss of <laughs> knowledge and not knowing what how to apply it. Did you eventually choose a mattress? I eventually chose the Layla, which... The Layla. I might start an, uh, my own YouTube channel myself explaining <laughs> why I like it so much. The copper infusion, great night's sleep. Um, this is some lightning round. That was question one. All right, we're going to get... I'm going to roll through the next two. Last time you made something for the web. A loot box article that I was making for the agency about how loot box tactics are a little bit corruptive. Joey, that, that's a little bit of a show off, but we'll give you a couple <laughs> points for that. Donna, a more realistic, authentic answer, perhaps. <laughs> this weekend when I went out to eat, obviously, taking a picture of my food for the gram. Now, is it only when you go out or do you do it when you cook? More likely when I go out. Sometimes when I cook, I like to record the process so people really know that the end product is mine. Like oh, these right. were the steps to getting to it. But usually when I go out to eat. Now, have you always been a food person? Yeah. Yeah, that's your thing. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. All right, last one. Most active creator in your friend graph. So you're like definable, actually known human being you've met, friend universe. Mine is unequivocally Baby Mike. So Lou is like, a, he's a big creator? Oh, huge creator. Really? Yeah. What's his platform of choice? He's just got his hand in everything. I mean, if you follow him on Instagram, he's one of the guys when his story comes up that you just need to start like ferociously clicking through All to right. try and get to the next one. <laughs> I do not follow Lou. I need to change that. Mike, I actually like watching your content. <laughs> I, I don't skip it, but I'm sure some people do. <laughs> Donna. Probably my friend Shauna, who unsurprisingly also posts about food. She's a food person. And travel. Food and travel. So her page, Explore the Global Taste, whenever she travels, all the food that she's eating. And you gave her a little shout out there. Yeah. Yep. Are you going to get like a t-shirt or something out of this? Explore the Global Taste. Listen, I can't thank you guys enough. You were absolutely fantastic. You promised to come back? Yeah, absolutely. All right, absolutely. we love that. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode here of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please subscribe or give us a like, and we'll be back out to you real soon. You can Venmo that. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) 